0: You're listening to The Word of Hope, a radio ministry of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. In the name of Jesus, amen. Today on the Feast of All Saints, Jesus teaches you about what true blessedness really consists of. And really that's to say nothing other than he's going to tell you about the holy lives of the saints. Jesus wants you to know where this holy life comes from, how it's lived out, and even how it ends and continues. But realize that what Jesus oftentimes calls blessed, the rest of the world will pronounce a curse. Now, you know this distinction between worldly blessedness and Christian blessedness, and you also know where you oftentimes find the sharpest contrast between the two. And I think you you see it most between... Christian funerals, and secular funerals. You notice it in the differences between Christian obituaries and pagan obituaries. And why is that? It's because at the end of a man's life, it's a time of judgment, a time of reckoning. And even the secular world knows it and perceives that. And that's why when Steve Jobs dies, you have a barrage of documentaries, books, and movies that all have one purpose, to hold a man's life in the balance and to pronounce a verdict. Was this man blessed, or is this man cursed? And more often than not, pagan funerals and obituaries are an attempt to argue for the blessedness of the person that's their concern. It's to say that this guy wasn't such a bad guy. He did his best, and he's probably now in a better place. But think about it for a second. But what kind of standard is that man then judged? He's judged by a standard of works. If you are an Army veteran, you're remembered and honored for your service to your country. If you were some sort of business executive, you're remembered for the impact that you had on your uh, company's bottom line. As a father or a mother, you're remembered and thanked by your kids, for everything that you've done for them. But if you've done well in this regard, does it mean that you've also passed the bar of God's judgment? Have you obtained the blessedness that He desires from His saints? That is the question that is set before us today. And to answer that question, we learn from Jesus' own mouth, about the blessedness that is defined by God's mercy, good works, and finally persecution. Now, Pastor Wolfmuller is a big fan of lists, and you guys are in for one heck of a list today. There's eight Beatitudes, and we can group them in, in, into uh, the first four uh, of negative Beatitudes. Uh, the next three are going to be positive Beatitudes, and then the fine, finally you have one last one. Uh, so keep that in mind. You see? Lists. <laughs> Jesus begins by talking about the Beatitudes, uh, by speaking about four negative attributes. And what's interesting about that is usually when we think about someone who is blessed, right? Someone who is blessed, they have something that other people don't have, right? Well, not so much according to Jesus. You see, uh, having less than others is where it all starts. Now, you don't want to hear that. Your flesh doesn't want to hear that. And so it resists when Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is, is is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Now the world would teach you that a broken spirit A broken and contrite heart, someone who is impoverished in this way, is something that is not good. It'll teach you that when you mourn, you should do it at least in private. Don't let other people see your tears and see how weak and vulnerable you are. The world would tell you that you must be assertive to get by in life. You must take charge of your life. You must take control. To hunger and to thirst is to admit that you lack something to the point that it hurts. And so when your friends ask you how you're doing, the world has trained you into automatically saying, I'm fine, thank you. All the while, while knowing that you not only lack bodily goods, but you also lack peace and righteousness in your soul. So rather than... Seeing these things as your blessedness, as Jesus describes them, the world has taught you and you have fallen into the temptation of thinking of these things as your shame. And so your flesh strives against these impoverishments. It exalts itself in its own estimation and hopefully in the estimation of others as well. Jesus tells you to repent. He says, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. Jesus wants you to hear God's verdict against your strivings, against your desperate condition. He wants you to know just how impoverished your soul truly has become. He wants you to know how much you have lost and then to mourn, to sorrow over that. He wants you to put aside your vain assertiveness and to learn to wait upon God's good pleasure. He wants you to learn that, in fact, you should hunger and thirst for righteousness because despite your attempts at self-justification and despite your opinions of your own flesh, righteousness is out of reach. Dear saints, to know your sin. To know how much you lack is to be poor in spirit. But take heart. Jesus says, of yours is the kingdom of heaven. Yes, he says that everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he also says that the one who humbles himself will be exalted. These are justifying words. These are words of being exalted, not by your own strength, not by your own effort, but by the blood and merits and righteousness of Jesus. The blessed life of the saints always begins in this way. It begins by standing condemned underneath God's law and then being exalted by Christ's righteousness and to possess this by faith, not by works. The blessed life is a life that clings to the promise despite your poor and sinful condition, for Christ's sake. And despite the fact that you do mourn death and loss, you discover it's not really a part of life, it is in fact God's wrath against sin. You know that you will be comforted, just as Jesus has said, because you know the comfort of the resurrection. And though your assertiveness is nothing but vanity from Jesus Himself, you have learned to pray, Give us this day our daily bread, and in meekness to wait upon God to provide every good thing for your bodies and souls. You hunger and thirst for righteousness, because that which you possess by faith right now, you know will be fulfilled even in your own bodies on the day of our Lord when He returns. And you are raised incorruptible and imperishable and righteous in and of yourself. Now, Jesus may begin by these, you know, describing Christian blessedness negatively so that he can positively talk about what he gives you as a gift. But now he turns his attention to those things that you do possess because you are a Christian, because you are baptized, and you are given the Lord's Holy Spirit who strengthens you to do good works. And so if the very first four Beatitudes are about your justification, the next three are about about your sanctification. And so he says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So first of all, take stock of what you already have. You have mercy already. You already know the treasure of a heart that's not stained by sin. You know the value of peace because the enmity between you and God the Father in heaven has been set aside by the blood of Jesus. Now, these gifts that you receive freely from God's own hand shape your Christian life. Now, Pastor Wolfmuller will oftentimes talk about the Supreme Christian, or the supreme, I'm sorry, worldly virtue of tolerance, but there is another virtue that you often hear about that's like it, and that's the virtue of empathy. Now, I think that empathy is fine. I I wish that I would be more empathetic oftentimes, but Jesus says that true blessedness requires more than entering into sort of the mindset and emotions of another. To be merciful is to set aside your anger, especially when you're sinned against. It's to act kindly towards your enemies who deserve punishment. It is to love where everyone else says it's justified to hate. That is what Christian mercy is, and it is only possible, this kind of mercy from people who already know free and undeserved mercy from Jesus' hand. Now, mercy is exactly what your neighbor needs from you. But then Jesus shifts and talks about the condition of your own soul. Now, it's true that in this life, as long as we have this body and soul, it's not going to be totally free from the corruption of sin and death. But that doesn't mean that the godly desires within you aren't real. It's not enough, you see, to, to merely serve your neighbor in love and then to secretly indulge in sins in your own heart. The Lord knows your heart, and he desires it to be pure and holy as he himself is pure and holy. And so when we consider the, the purity of heart, it is to consider also our baptism, where this heart is gained. Because it's there that you are cleansed of your sins. And it's there that you return when you are caught in your temptations and sin. You repent. You return to the mercy that was promised to you in your baptism. And you do what St. What Paul says. You, you think about those things that are true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable and excellent. That is, you are to, to think of Christ and to think of the excellence and the purity of His Word And his teachings. Now, finally, what does it mean to be a peacemaker? Well, this should be pretty simple. You do do remember the first words that Jesus speaks to his apostles after his resurrection. He speaks to them and says, Peace be with you. And then he does an amazing thing. He, He gives a great gift to all of the saints of the Holy Christian Church, he gives them the gift of the forgiveness of sins and the forgiveness of sins spoken to one another with Christ's own authority. (laughs) Because Jesus says to you, you are at peace with God your Heavenly Father, now, as Christians, we speak these same words of peace to one another. That's what it means to be a peacemaker. And we do it because we are, by Jesus' blood and merit, sons of God. Jesus is telling you that your life of faith, your blessed life, is under attack. Now, there is a real temptation to, to look, take stock of your life and to not see the attack, to, to think to ourselves that, well, you know what, I, I, it seems that I live my Christian life unopposed. And so we think, maybe out of some strange false humility, uh, that I'm not persecuted like other Christians are around the world, And it's true that the outward form of persecution does always take different shapes depending on where you're living and in what time you're living. But nevertheless, if you don't believe your own experience and your own sense of persecution, then at least believe what Jesus is saying about you. You are under attack. The devil and the world are conspiring together to shake your faith in Jesus, to remove from you your joy and your peace and you're blessed this. They do this by denying that Christ indeed came in the flesh to die for your sins. They do it by saying that your faith must be supplemented by works, which is actually, in fact, when you talk to Christians around the world, the majority opinion. You're tempted with the idea that God's word is not, in fact, powerful and true. These are the attacks against the gospel. And these are the attacks that are meant to remove you from the blessedness given to you in Christ. Now, thanks be to God that your blessedness must come under attack because Jesus has promised that it would be this way. And he says that this isn't a reason to to despair. It's not a reason to think that you are somehow cursed. But in fact, it becomes the occasion for joy. Now, in Acts chapter 5, you have this amazing episode where Peter and John are standing before the council in Jerusalem, and they are reviled for Christ's sake. They are hated for Christ's sake. They are cast out, and what do they do? Instead of thinking to themselves, oh my gosh, what have I done by getting in with this fellow Jesus? Even if he is risen from the dead, they rejoice because they have been counted worthy to suffer for his name's sake. This is the joy that comes from knowing resurrection and the forgiveness of sins. And it's the joy that followed the apostles their entire lives, even unto death and in spite of death. And so this is where we get back to the difference between Christian funerals and pagan funerals. In the pagan funerals, like I was saying before, you always see the attempts at self-justification of showing uh, the world your blessedness outside of Christ, but at your funeral and in your obituary, you know what people will see when they look at that? And when they hear the words spoken at your funeral, they will hear of the blessedness of Christ. And this is the blessedness of the saints. It's never looking in on ourselves and what we have done, but it's always directed outward, upon the cross, upon the empty tomb. And so even though in the Christian's funeral, just like with the secular person's funeral, there is always weeping and mourning because a life has truly been lost, yet this weeping is mingled with comfort and joy because in life and in death, you belong to Jesus who has the victory over sin, death, and the grave. Now may the Lord keep you in this Christian faith, with all of the saints who have ever come before you and are now resting from their labors. May you, as they, obtain the victor's crown, having endured every attack by the devil with the righteousness of Jesus that you hold up as your shield that quenches out every flaming dart that comes against you. Rejoice and be glad, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Amen. May the peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus into life everlasting. Amen.